friends, welcome to episode 222 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How about in, Rob? It's Monday. It's Monday. For those of you who are listening to this later in the week... It's not Wednesday. It's, it's Monday. It's so weird. Uh, by the so... time you're, if by the time, well, no, I guess I haven't decided if I'm releasing this tonight or if we're gonna wait it till Wednesday. I think port it to Wednesday. You know, give the give the people listening live a little, That's true. little extra That's true. little extra cherry on give, top. Give them a know? tickle. Give them a tickle. So and uh, those who know to look for our podcast on Wednesday nights, so we'll get it on Wednesday night. That's true. You that know? is true. But um, uh, yeah, if you're if you're joining us in the live chat or if you're listening live right now, hello. hello if you're hello. not, happy Wednesday. I hope it's treating you well. Yes, and uh, for. At the time we'd normally be recording this, I should be in Indianapolis, checked into my hotel, hopefully, like, stocked up and ready for the next few days of gaming. Mm-hmm. And I've got what, at least two two sessions a day yeah. that I'm doing. At least. I think I don't think I have three in any of the days. I think I only have two. Overwatch, check me on that. I don't have the schedule in front of me. Uh, but Overwatch is going with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Veteran's going with me. And... Um, Civic, uh, Civic. Thank you. Yep. I, I can never get it right. Um, so uh, we're all we're all going down. We did this five years ago, um, and it came back around of like, do we want to do this again? And like magic again, we just pulled it out of nowhere. Yeah, and yep. and got everything that we needed. We actually had stacked up in some cases three games a day, and Civic uh, was, was just like. Are we sure about this? Yeah, man. And then... Uh, uh, when are you going to have time to like enjoy the convention? Well, there's a lot going on at the convention, too. Yeah. Um, and so we, we uh, with, with very good cause, cut it back to two a day. And I think that's going to be fantastic. There's lots of space for food and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, if all goes well, I'm hoping to run into a few of our... Uh, Discord or Discord members, yeah, uh, yeah. You've got a little meetup channel we created on the we Discord. Do. Um, we do, and then so like you know, if if you're out there and you haven't joined the Discord yet, but you are going to be at Gen Con and you want to uh, you want to meet uh, meet Rob, I'm not going to be there, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, if you want to meet Rob and uh, some of our other listeners. Uh, there is a little bit of a meetup channel um, yes. that they're gonna kind of just uh, make some arrangements there. Yeah, basically, once I know where everybody's at and uh, we we kind of figure things out, I, it looks like it's probably gonna be Thursday, okay. um, uh, like mid afternoon if we can pull it together. I don't know how long it's gonna be for, but like we'll try and see how we can yeah, do sure. that. And of course, like I'm, there is a strong possibility that I will be walking around in a storyteller conclave shirt. Well, you you and your cadre will be walking. We're around hoping. In it. We're yeah, hoping. So... Uh, the the shirts are in process of being printed right now, so we really don't even know uh, if everything's going to come out like it should. But yeah, uh, I was a little worried the deadline was going to be a little you know, tight. But... It was it was tight, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, regardless, there'll be some posts on Instagram. I'll throw some stuff in Discord. Uh, probably after I get back, and I can organize a little bit into the channel. But uh, uh, yeah. I, I, if you're going to be there, I'd love to have you guys hop in the Discord, even if it's just to uh, just to say hey and where you're going to be at. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I plan on hitting a lot of the the systems that we've talked about. Yeah. Um. And uh, like my first game is Lasers and Feelings. Lasers and Feelings. You've got a new Minara. I do. Um, Actually, and, and it's a quick start. It's a it's a quick start, and you come home with the quick start yes. set. Like yes. you you play the game, and then they give you the game. Yep. Um, I've got a game system I've never played, which is kind of a generic role-playing game. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got Bulldogs, which is an alternative, or it's not an alternative; it's a it's a, a, a rules adjustment to another system. Mm. Um, 
and which is fate. I think it's I think okay. it's a twist on fate. Okay, um, a twist uh, of fate yeah, that yeah. has uh, space combat and stuff. Um, and I know you were a huge uh, fate fan uh, and and lover. I don't know if I'm a time. huge fate fan. I, I admire it from a distance, uh, though my, <laughs> my, my experience with it has been fleeting at best. Yeah. So uh, uh, we're going back to the Battletech game, which I have the minis you finished. They're sitting right there. They're sitting right you. here. These will be... Uh, did we get pictures of these yet up? Uh, I, d- I didn't post them there because I was kind of saving them. I was couching them for mini of the week. No, let's, on, let's leave that. On I th- Twitter I... or now X. Oh, yeah, yeah. It'll be on Instagram regardless. Um. And uh, people can see them there. They are they are fantastic. They yeah, are wonderful. I can, I can post them out there. Um, but uh, you can put them in the Discord for you know Discord members. Oh, yeah, like, that's true. You know they're 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 kind of like our micro patrons because yeah, right <laughs> they're they're paying with their words and their time, and I think that's fair as well. Um, but uh, uh, for those of you who are in our Patreon, I will be trying to post daily um, highlights of things that I find, uh, I am going to try and take my recorder with me. And if I run into certain people, I may do quick interviews with them and post them on the Patreon, um, as best I can, uh, so that you guys can kind of have an experience of thank done, you. done and posted. Awesome. Uh, and, uh, you can just share a little bit of uh, the experience with me. Cause I, I think this year's Gen Con is going to be bigger. I, I kind of have a sense for how quickly slots filled. You think there's that post-COVID, like, let's get back to normal, let's go out and do this, we've been yeah. feeding for this for several years thing? Um, yeah, there's also been an influx of a lot of new games because of the whole, like, we had a really interesting winter. Mm-hmm. Like, we we all rushed, like, not realizing that the OGL incident occurred. Yeah. We had all of these new things happen with Cobalt Press with yep, um, yep. Uh, a few of the other uh, major systems. Uh, pa- uh, pa- Paizo put Paizo, out their, their, their ORC. Yep. You know? So a bunch of people jumped on wagon. I, I kind of feel like we're at the edge of the new, I'm going to say it, D20 kick. Do you remember that? Yeah. Where like, everybody came out with crap? Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of hopeful that when I get there, it's going to be like this explosion of stuff. Um. I saw where Paizo stuff is. I saw where Hasbro stuff is. And mm-hmm. there's a huge Magic the Gathering tournament going on, obviously. Oh, sure. Of course there is. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of board game uh, new stuff that's coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the the island game that sinks. Like, you, you play as a co-op to try and get something and get off the island. I can't remember. Hidden Island? Oh, or God, I don't like know. Uh, it's a really cool it game. sounds like Save Dr. Lucky, but I know that's yeah, not it. Yeah, it's a, it's a board game with yeah. tiles, um, and uh, uh, it's a it's a, it's a a fast-paced co-op game. They've come out with another edition of it, and mm-hmm. I've been asked to keep an eye out for it because it's starting at okay. Gen Con. Okay. Um, so I'm going to try and keep an eye on that. But just, just a lot of really good new vibes mm-hmm. that I think are going to be interesting to see. Um, and it, it'll, I, I'm very interested to see kind of where things go with the general feeling of people yeah right on um but there's a lot of games there's a lot of games um well it sounds like it's gonna be gonna be great yeah and i expect like full reports on everything of course of course i'll Um, try and take a a lot more pictures this year than i did uh in previous and for uh for you potential listeners who may cross our paths uh you know keep an eye out for if if we if we get lucky keep an eye out for the storyteller conclave uh uh, t-shirts yep yep on a small cadre of individuals yes yes we please come up say hi i would love to talk to all of you Mm -hmm. so we have a 202 
Yeah. Do we have a 202 or do we have a soapbox rant? So I'm going to start with saying we have a 202. Okay. Um, I'm going to set this honey next to you because you're going to need it I'm for your need throat uh, and all of the conversation that's about to occur. Yep. Let's get some um, tea going yeah, we're gonna, here. We're going to get the, the tea moving in the right direction. I'm just going to let so, you intro this while I breathe deeply. Yeah. So I'm going to start by saying that we both came into this talking about sandboxes from different angles. Um, Sarah had a lovely discussion, uh, with, um, Sean, uh, not uh, a little over a little couple days ago, like four or five days ago. No, no, no was it this yesterday. Weekend? This was yesterday. Was it yesterday? Okay. Yeah, it was yesterday. I, I, for some reason, my brain is, is messed up. Sitting on the couch um, and talking about uh, the, the video very game full, Elite Dangerous. Um, and you were talking about exploration. And I think that was an interesting kind of direction for the thoughts on sandbox and then i did the opposite thing i had like i had the dumb idea to ask the internet what it thought sandbox gaming was <laughs> and then proceeded to get exceptionally angry at the results um but but you but you got you I, got exactly the answer that i thought you would and i think that's what disappointed me the most um so I think what we're going to start with here is we're going to start with some definitions, uh -huh. um, hopefully what I would like to call accurate definitions. Um, and then from there, we're going to go into some of the, I guess, misconceptions and uh, communication issues regarding sandbox and the term itself, where it kind of births itself from. Um, so... I don't think we should start with our thesis statements here because I think they're scary. <laughs> no, our thesis statements are scary, yeah. Because um, we had to present those to each other just so we All knew right. where we were coming from. Let's start slow. What is a sandbox? Regardless of opinions, what is a sandbox? Well, I'm going to start with an opinion because I think this opinion is a good opinion. All right. Um, for those of you who have ever seen the angry GM, um, uh, they had a, per uh, a pure definition, which was... Uh, a sandbox is one in which the players are given no objectives or goals, but are merely placed in a game world and told to make their own fun. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that's a very open statement. There, yeah, okay. It really doesn't define the, the role of the storyteller or the players in a heavy way. It doesn't lock anything in. So in that sense, I kind of feel like it's kind of, it's pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree um, with that. The... The idea is that a lot of people tend to say that sandboxes are absolute player agency, that there mm -hmm. are no pre-drawn plots, and nothing is planned. Um, also, that exploration should be able to go anywhere and do anything within the boundaries of what was presented. Yeah. Meaning, here's your start point, voila. Mm -hmm. You know, if you can get there with your things, go. Yeah. Um, some examples of this that are in, in culture, Minecraft is the, probably the top seed of this because yeah, literally yeah. you click on the game and they drop you in with nothing. They barely give you a level of tutorial of, to even know you're supposed to do anything. It's true. And the world is unique unless you steal a seed. So unless you, you, you know, an existing seed to, and, and have the things to put in there, unless you layer some controls on top of it, mods, whatever they may be. You're literally just plunked in a world by yourself and told, here. And that's it. Yep. Um, some people call Skyrim a uh, sandbox game. Because, again, 
you're presented with your place in the world, but you are not told that this is the only place you have. Yeah, you can. It, it rewards exploration in that if you go off the beaten path, there are things you'll find. Mm-hmm. There are dungeons to go into. There's treasure to find, quests to stumble upon, and things like that. Nothing. There is no greater encouragement by necessarily following the plot, mm-hmm. whatever that may be. Um. Elder Scrolls Online, another, like most online games, tends to have very open plan Because you could, like, here's the plot person standing in front of you, and you literally turn your back to them and go off somewhere else and do something. Mm-hmm. And ignore every aspect of that. And a lot of people do because they don't realize that's the plot. Yeah. And yeah. that's because it doesn't tell you that that's the plot. And I think to a degree... That is another good representation of open world sandbox sure. kind of thing. Because, again, there are just, it's it's an existing world. Things are happening. You can do what you want with it. Mm-hmm. Um, does this mean, though, because I haven't said it fully, that there can't be narrative? Or else it removes the sandbox. Yeah. And that's that's where that gray line starts to get aggressive. Yeah, and that's where we start, like, the, 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 why we kind of preface this by saying both of us have a little bit of an angry soapbox rant coming in here. Because the further we dug into the definition of what a sandbox is and what expectations seem to be prevalent in the community of what a sandbox is and how it functions the more we realize that it is a bag of contradictory terms that I, I, I don't, I still, to this, to, to this moment, don't understand what people are trying to accomplish with sandboxes. And I, I don't know, like, if the fervor of my argument comes from people who just want to be argumentative about a topic yeah. that, they are, that they don't do. But I find a lot of people who say they run sandbox games, Mm -hmm. and I look at what they're saying, and I'm like, I think you don't, you're not running a sandbox game. Yeah, because you define it one way, and then you describe what you're running, and it does not fit the definition of what you just said as a sandbox. Yeah, Right, so so we're going to kind of step through before the fight. (laughs) Yeah. And not a fight. That's a terrible way of saying no, it. No, no, but before before we start, like, st- really picking apart what a sandbox stirring is. Stirring the pot. Stirring the pot is an excellent way before to flavor Before we stir that. the pot. You know, I'm kind of glad that our podcast isn't immediately attached to a giant comment blog like YouTube, because I really feel like we're, you know, when these do go to YouTube, we are going, uh, it's going to be better. Let us continue. We're going to demolish con- in the comments on this one. Oh, well, yeah. whatever. It's probably whatever. for future us. So let's start with, let's start with the basics. What are good components of a sandbox game. Sure. So I would say that there's a home point. Now that home point can shift. Sure. Right? It is the home base, whether it's a boat, whether it's a house, whether it's a hovel, whether it's a castle. It is a point where players rest. Mm-hmm. It's where they recuperate. Decisions are made. Sometimes it's the point where a lot of the a lot of action comes to. Yeah, sure. Um, in uh, that in, sense. In fact, I dare say that the home base is one of the major aspects of like uh, the selling points of the sandbox game. Um, because a lot of times you hear, you know, like, oh, if you guys want to, like, build a castle, you can do that. 
you know? Yeah. And there are whole supplements. Like, I know uh, uh, MCDM put a, put one out that was, like, the fortresses and, and for, fortifications or yes. something like that. Or yep. I, I forget what the actual name of it is, but he put out something that was about castles, keeps, and fortresses. Well, I mean, there was there was original D&D stuff, but way back in the day, you know, back in AD&D, yeah. there were supplement books for that kind of stuff that was com- very common. Uh, the uh, uh, Savage World Fantasy Companion has, mm-hmm. a whole, has a whole chapter devoted to, you know, yeah, building there's quite a few systems. Palladium had it. And so. people love the idea that in a sandbox game you can just like, oh, just build your own fort and we can have a castle, guys. And there's like rules for sieging it. And, yeah. You uh, know. Firefly style games where you're building yeah. your spaceship. That's the same thing as oh, a home absolutely. base. No you different. Just do a sandbox in space. You'd use a traveler. I mm-hmm. mean, your your ship. We had a whole we had a whole discussion about how the ship is an extra character. Yeah. You know. 7C does it with, uh, even adds magical layers to it where your characters can be bound to it. It can be their home oh, yeah. and you can edit it at will, basically. Mm-hmm. So things like that are, are super common um, and offer a a grounding attachment to the world, which yeah. we all say is a, is a great way to keep people invested. Exactly. Um, exactly. The living world is a thing we talk about a lot. And that is where the world exists outside of that home base. Now, mm-hmm. we are talking about creating, either taking an existing setting, even if it's a property that you you just like in passing. Maybe you don't have a ton of experience in it. Maybe it's the flavor of that setting. Like, I really like the flavor of Dune, but I may not take Dune whole cloth. Sure. Because there's a lot going on there. But it's having that setting that makes it feel that outside the walls of home there's a whole thing going on yeah you've got political strife going on even just down to the local ecology of different creatures living in different places ruins of ancient civilizations that speak to an older past and it's understanding that setting and we've we've talked about world building very a lot of times in this where you know don't go beyond the mountains understand it but don't write you know don't go into detail leave the gaps dungeon world does a great job of draw the map but leave lots of blank spots oh we'll come back to dungeon world um so the idea is um you need to know what's going on kind of like you're from the perspective of your players going on a vacation. Mm-hmm. Like when you go on a vacation, you might have a brochure that kind of tells you about the restaurants or things that you're interested in, but it doesn't tell you all of the details. Yeah, sure. You 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 may not even know what the weather's like when you get there, mm-hmm. right? But you may have looked it up to make sure you're traveling in a good season. So kind of that's the aspect of living world you want to have. You want a brochure. Yeah, that understands it. Not yeah. not a three thousand page lore book, or even right? maybe just a friend who says, "Don't go more than a mile from your hotel." Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, the next kind of piece on that is an NPC cast. Now, we see this. Uh, we see people talk about making sure NPCs are in your scenes that are part of your plots. But having a cast, or even small, and I'm saying very small, we're talking like between three to five, not Mm -hmm. much. But these are the regular people that live or or exist around the home. If it's space, maybe they're people who show up at the the space docks, you know, that you see on a regular basis. Sure. If it's your physical home, maybe it's the mailman, you know, the FedEx guy. If you're in a school, the janitor, you know, these are people who give information, who have, you know, who have the ability to procure things, but also through them can sprinkle, and that's what I'm going to be getting to next here, what's going on outside the doors. To me, this is this is a logical extension of the living world. Yes. You know, 
um, when we when we say, oh yeah, you know that the world goes on without you know without regard for the PCs, as we'll we'll get to in a little bit here, um, and the world lives and breathes and has all this other stuff going on. I mean, you have to ha- it has to be populated with people. You yeah. Know? Um, a good connection point for those of us who are I'm not going to say at the geriatric age yet, but we definitely feel it is a lot of our early TV shows that we had as children had these heralds who would come. Mr. Rogers had people who came to his house and heralded what was going on outside. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just what was going on in the house, even though that was its own adventure to its own right. But when things were coming in from the outside world, that made the world feel living. So these heralds are necessary Mm -hmm. to be able to bring those things in. Um, Sprinkles are the difference here. And I'm using the term sprinkles instead of breadcrumbs. The reason why are these are sweet things that just sit out there. They have no attachment. Their calories mean nothing. They are literally just there to be like, I'm intrigued in that cookie. Ooh, a piece of candy. Yeah. Ooh, a piece of candy. Exactly. Ooh, they a piece don't, of candy. <laughs> they don't lead a trail at all because mm-hmm. you shouldn't think about them more than anything other than the piece of candy that they are. Yep. They are there to find out what flavors the characters are interested in. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's the whole purpose of the there. And, you know, as I like to say, you put it down and you forget about it. You just watch to see who grabs it. And then once they grab it, you see if they enjoy it. And if they enjoy it, then you can step on from there. Yeah. Right? Because that's the point of it all. Like, without that, there is no flavor to the world. Sure, sure. And, you know, variety, I think, is important here. Because what you want to look for as a storyteller in this, especially if you are going to run a true sandbox, is, (laughs) as much as that term exists... um, (laughs) You, you know, you, you want to see which one of your players picks it up, eats it, and goes, y'all got any more of them donuts? Exactly. And, okay, now you know what to put more of out there. And that's what brings us to our last one, which is listening to the players. Yep. Sandbox games require you, by design, to listen to the players. It is a reactive style of gameplay until it is not. Yep. And that's the part... It makes my heart kind of twist a little bit in my comments that I have read. But I will get to that. That Mm -hmm. is my sandbox. I'm putting it off to the side. Regardless, it is meant to be a place where you listen into that feedback, whether it's during session or at the end of the session, to hear what they're interested in. Yeah. You know, if maybe you didn't catch the fact that person stowed away that item and then later was like, yeah, I want to learn more about this can i go to the library next session you're like yes yes you can yes you can and now now you have something Mm -hmm. and that is where things diverge yeah just a little bit now at this point i'm stepping back very lightly all right all right so we talked about what a sandbox is correct we talked a little bit about the the elements the elements that should make up a a good solid sandbox how a sandbox now let's talk about why a sandbox. Oh boy! Because uh, okay, this 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 sounds like you know uh, I don't know. It could sound like a lot. It could sound like a little. I guess depending on how you're looking at things and how deep you're reading into things. The biggest thing that I always hear, I'm going to start with that, is it's different <laughs> than a tailored plot. Yeah, and I'm air quoting this in hard air quotes. You know, I don't have. The Count Strahd adventure laid out in front of me. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to, you know, candle keep, you know. I don't have something that is literally laid out with 
specific things so that when an NPC shows up, they're going to talk about the dead ant that just happened and don't know what happened. And it's a mystery that leads to this other enigma. The character from the Pink Panther? Something like that. Dead ant. Yes, dead ant. thank you. Dead ant, dead ant, dead ant. Yeah. So to say that, it's it's the term, an idea of giving a sense of exploration and freedom to the players. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I think that that sounds like the, the, the biggest draw I always hear about sandbox games. And uh, he's actually in the room right now, so I will make eye contact with him when I say this. This is something I hear from Sean all the time mm-hmm. um, about the attraction of a sandbox-style game. He's actually expressed that he wants to do something like this with... Uh, with the Nova Praxis. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've gone back and forth with, uh, on, on, on it for quite a bit. And, you know, I mean, hey, it's his game. I'm not going to tell him how to do it. But hopefully he, you know, sees some of the pros and cons here. Um, Pause for just a second. Yeah. You live with him. You might tell him how to do it. I, but, again, it's still his choice to take it or not. It's his game. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very hands off with that, you know. Yeah. We really haven't gotten into spouses of game masters who game master and how that always works or doesn't work. But that is a different show. To be fair, he asks my opinion. I give it to him. I know. That's... I know. We did talk about the whole, like, friends versus GMs. Yes. But we'll, we're, yes. we're going to skip on. All right. <laughs> so why a sandbox? Because it sounds cool. Right? Like, when you think about, you know, having an expo- ex- a sense of exploration and a sense of freedom, go anywhere, do anything, you're the master of your own destiny, it sounds exciting. It's a hell of a sales pitch, honestly. No, no, I know. No, no, no my, my breath was sighing no, no. wearily right now. No, no, now. my sigh was actually to, like, it reminded me the first time that I was kind of reading that that joyousness of it mm-hmm. um, was like the return to Dragonlance. At rugged adventurers finding their way across a land and discovering their choices. Yeah, you know, sure, sure. Becoming heroes by chance more than anything else, you know, and making the decisions of like, yeah, not this. I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. We're just going to move on. Have a nice day. This is your problem, not mine. Yeah. Okay, that's that's a choice. Okay, yeah, sure. You made that choice, you know, but it was your choice. Yes. And now we're going to go find something else that might be adventure for us, right? And the other the other big draw is for, you know, player, players who want, or I should say storytellers who want something a little more um, simulationist in nature, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a big draw for a lot of people is um, realism. Yes. Um, and, I mean, I, I say verisimilitude. Uh, uh, Ron Blessing uh, uh, broke me of that. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, uh, the the idea that, like, you're not the chosen ones or anything, you have no destiny, you're just an average Joe, and the world doesn't cater to you. It makes it more immersive that way, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, none of us are the chosen one, right? No. None of us have a great big destiny. We just work our nine to five and we go to sleep at the end of the day and hopefully we fit in a couple hours of chores and video games yeah you know yeah and then we wake up the next day and do it again unless we are and then we don't want to be the chosen one or two trpgs maybe there is something to be said there there is something to be said there yes there must be a lot of chosen ones out there um but you know it 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 doesn't make any presumptions about you know your character's place in the world right because you're it's the player's choice that matters sure it's not the storyteller presenting who your player is exactly um so your choices have more weight than what is given to you exactly um 
And there's no worry that, you know, anything you put in there uh, is going to be uninteresting to the players since they have chosen it. If they engage with it, it's obviously something they like. And if they don't engage with it, they can just move on. There's yeah. no there's no railroading them into the plot. It's oh. true freedom. And so the storyteller only needs to write what's directly in front of the players and react to their choices in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, sure, sure. And if you if it sucks, hit the bricks. If if you guys don't engage with something, guess what? You've saved me the storyteller a lot of writing. Sounds I can easy. Yeah, sounds easy. The question is, is what do you really mean by exploration? <sighs> yeah. Do so you want me to pull the box out? No, well, okay. I'm... You're getting there. I'm all right. I'm all right. I, the, the, the microphone's already set up. If I get on a soapbox, I'm going to have to move move things. <laughs> so y'all are going to have to deal with me right where I am. It's Monday. Deal so with it. <laughs> what do you mean by exploration? Yes, okay? that was the question. That's, I think, the, 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 the big draw of Sandbox. Explore everything. Do anything. Go anywhere. Choose your own destiny. Okay, so what do we mean when we say exploration? The term gets thrown around a lot. Mm-hmm. And it probably does a lot more work in Sandboxes than it's given credit for. Um, okay? I would agree. Because without exploration, really, what is a Sandbox? It's just a little bit of milling about, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The whole draw of a sandbox is to go out in the world and just find stuff to do. So, exploration needs to be defined in mm-hmm. in a way that is meaningful to gaming, okay? Well, I'm going to start with one piece here that I sure. think is, is the part that twi- triggers me a little bit in this, and that is this... And I'm going to take Minecraft as an example. Yeah. When you drop into Minecraft, you are a person, mm-hmm. and you will do what you choose to do. There is no limitations to what you're doing. You can just do it. Mm-hmm. If I am gaming with five other people, and I drop into Minecraft, what do we do? We explore. Together? Shouldn't, shouldn't we be you know, dividing and conquering. I mean, like, like at that point, confusion sets in. Right. What are you looking for? Do you have a definition? Do you have a goal? Right. Right. But now that you're defining a goal, uh-oh. Yeah. Do we, did we just break from sandboxing no sandbox? exploration? Yeah. And even with exploration, decisions have to be made about where you're going. And in that sense, like you were saying, there has to be meaning. Meaning, like, we want to set up a castle Okay, where would we like? Do we want to make it a sandcastle on the shore, or do we want to make it up there at that mountain? Oh, I could see a mountain. Mm-hmm. Let's do it up in the mountain. That sounds cool. Mm-hmm. All right, now we'll go to the mountain. So now you're exploring to the mountain on your way to the mountain to do that thing. Sure. There's a meaningful gameplay that gets you from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and it's it's that change in exploration of the of of choosing a path that is anywhere right so like you know i'm in a space game i can see a star i'm going to jump to that star and figure things out Mm -hmm. all of that sounds great when you remove the storyteller (laughs) (laughs) and it's just a bunch of random tables because it's directionless yeah right yeah at that point we don't know what's going on the question i have for you is how does curiosity work out in that? Well, okay. 
Exploration needs to be three things. Okay. All right. Exploration needs to be three things. It is the ability to travel in, in any random direction you want. I think that's fair. Okay. You need to be able to find something interesting there. That Okay. I like that one. And it has to have meaningful gameplay potential. I.E. So many games. We were, this discussion originally came up with regards to Elite Dangerous. Oh, man. Which is yes. often described as a mile wide and an inch deep. What is exploration like in that okay. game? You go to places and you look at them and you go, hmm, those are interesting rocks. And then nothing. And nothing happens. Yes. <laughs> um, you can do anything with the interesting rocks except for say you've looked at them once you make it back to civilization and somebody might pay you a little bit of money for that, for having looked at a rock. Yeah, and if you call what they tell you about that rock lore, we might slap your hand. Oh. <laughs> All right, so let's break this down a little bit. Ability to travel in any random direction off the beaten path. That sounds great. Go anywhere, do anything, right? Hex, hex crawl. Empty hex crawl. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so this is the true essence of a sandbox, right? Sure. Perfectly directionless. Sure. You guys tell me where you want to go. I'm not going to railroad you anywhere. The PCs should have the potential of traveling anywhere their feet can take them. Mm-hmm. Or ship or whatever, whatever you know what the mean. situation is. Okay. What draws them there, though, other than curiosity? And that's kind of what I'm saying, is, is that you have to know something's there. Right. So, i.e., is it okay to use plot hooks in a sandbox? And if you're writing plots, i.e. plot hooks, is it still a sandbox? Or are you just giving them a, a handful of stories to choose from and then tailoring those stories anyways? Right, like... Do you just have a hidden list of, of, of pre-generated adventures under the table with the numbers on them? Oh, you guys grabbed box 102. And here's the adventure. Yeah. Okay, is, is that a sandbox or is that just a randomizer to help you get to an right. event, a pre-generated adventure? Exactly, exactly. Um, Heatsink actually says they, they need to know the world, right? Yes. And so... It's it's knowledge of that world. They might be able to make an educated decision to go mm-hmm. out there, but like that puts a lot of work on your players, mm-hmm. right? Most of us don't even read the game manual. Yeah. Let alone study up on a bunch of lore for the world that we're all going to be playing in. Now, I do because I'm a huge nerd. That is true. But like as good as my group is, I have plenty of people who you know, in, in, in at my table who barely know the lore beyond what I've presented. Well, and, and what interests one player doesn't interest everyone. Sure, and that, look, that's fine because at my table I am giving you guys a tailored plot and you don't need to worry about the, you know, 3,000 years of history that happened before you guys in the formation of Cyrodiil and the Alessian, you know, blah, 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 right? Right. You don't need to know it. Would it help understand what the aliens were and, you know, when you go into these alien ruins and stuff? Mm -hmm. Sure. It would add flavor to it. Sure. It's not necessary, though. And if you ask, I'll give you the lore and then we can move on, you know. But in a sandbox, though, to make any sort of educated decision, it requires that sort of proactiveness on Mm -hmm. your players. And that's not going to be for everybody. No. And then again, like I said, if you're writing plots, are you even still doing a sandbox then or mm-hmm. are you just doing a random grab bag of pre-generated adventures or or worse yet and i'll say worse yet and i mean it are you just rolling on a random table uh-huh. yeah yeah 
See also hex crawl. We'll get there. Yeah. All right. So the second tenet. Yes. Find something interesting when you get there. Yes. Okay. This is something Elder Scrolls Online, I think, does exceptionally well. Sure. There was a number of times when I was playing that game regularly where I would go into a zone I've never been in before. Mm-hmm. And I would just wander off the beaten path. Mm-hmm. I would see something mildly interesting. From that point, I would see something slightly more interesting. From there, my curiosity would just take over, and I'm like, hey, I wonder if I can jump over that cliff, actually. Mm-hmm. And then I do, and I'm like, God, am I even supposed to be down here? Did I clip out of the map? And there's a dungeon there? Oh, I guess I am supposed to be here, because there's a dungeon here. Like, mm-hmm. the devs put something here. And there's like, how are you supposed to get here? How yeah. are you supposed to find this? Well, the, that's that's how you're supposed to find it. You're supposed to get curious and look. Mm-hmm. There's an empty spot on your map that you haven't been to. Wonder what could be there. Yeah, you know. And I, so, so that's that's kind of the feel that we're going for here in a true sandbox game, okay? But we start begging a lot of questions, and when we say find something interesting, yeah, okay, what constitutes interesting to your group? That yeah, and it might be different. Like you said, you've got five disparate people at mm-hmm. your at your at your table now. And if you're going true sandbox, these people have all made their characters in absentia of one another. Sure. They haven't formed an adventuring group with a goal or a cohesive unity. So they've all got their own ideas of what what's going to be going on in the sandbox world. God forbid that happens. What's what's interesting? Mm-hmm. How do you define that? All right. Second, then, of course, that begs the question about what the purpose of your campaign is. To do. Who are these PCs? <laughs> yeah. What are their goals? Uh, does the interesting thing they find pertain to their goals? Yeah. If it doesn't pertain to their goals, will it still be interesting to them? Will it spark an interest or will it just be eh? This doesn't advance my own personal agenda. Ergo, it can be ignored. I don't know. You don't know. And it might be individual per person. And if your campaign has a goal Mm -hmm. and a purpose Mm -hmm. and a direction, Mm -hmm. are you still running a sandbox? I'll get to that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Next question. How interesting. Yeah. Okay, so what constitutes interesting and how interesting are we talking? Are these things meant to be momentary dalliances or should they have greater weight? I.e., is it just a a random dungeon that you go into, you fight a couple monsters, you get some treasure, and you come out of it and you don't ever think about it ever again. It gets discarded like tissue. To a degree, like the, the hexes along the path of a one-ring game. Yeah. It is just something that happens along travel. A lot of times what what people see when they're traveling in D&D, a random encounter. Something that doesn't necessarily, that may fit the the ecology of the space, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but that's about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, And then what are the PCs meant to do with the things that they interact with? Okay, so is there a deeper meaning to them? Are we looking for, like, a connection to other points of interest, like a lost civilization discovered in different scattered ruins? Right. Um, Or, you know, other than go, oh, that's interesting, what impact are we expecting? And I think this is where a little bit of the sandboxing kind of bleeds into 
fiction crafting Mm -hmm. where it's if the players believe that that is what it is like oh i found ruins here and i found ruins there therefore these ruins are tied together and you just don't make them disbelieve that right 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 you wait for your players to say there's got to be a connection here and then and then you go oh yeah i can make those connected or you don't, and you just let them believe what they believe, and you just keep making more randomness. Yeah, that's actually. Prob- I'm not saying that probably that's probably more accurate to what the, t- which is what yeah. I found, and I'm still gonna hold myself back. So okay. please continue. All right, all right, and then okay. So the next question is, uh, with these points of interest, are they random or are they crafted? Yeah. Okay, and I'm sure I'm, you. You did a lot more online research I did. Of, of public opinion than I did on this one, so I'm sure you actually have an answer to this one. I, I do. Um, are they random or are they just crafted? Like, does crafted become just writing plot? Right. You know, are you are you force feeding or are you railroading your players if you say, okay, here's the thing, then this is why it's interested and this is how it fits and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And if it's random, how do you make it make sense in your world and have weight for the PCs if it's just, I rolled a 2d6 and that's what came up? Right. Vers- it's not a symptom of the ecology that you've set out. Right. Or is it just, this is the ecology, this is how it is. If you find that interesting, that's your choice. Yeah. Like, this is just the truth. It's it's just sitting here. Yeah. This is how gravity works. Yeah. It's not interesting. It's just what it is. And I, oh God, just, just the way you said that made me bored. I'm getting there. But, okay, so I guess the last point that I have to this to ask you about is you said this has to have meaningful gameplay potential. That's the rub. That's the rub. How can it? When you get there, you have to be able to do something. Think back to what I said about Elite. You just, you go there and you find the rocks and you're out there to look for interesting things. So you have found an interesting thing. Okay. Mission accomplished. Yeah. But it has to have meaningful, meaningful gameplay potential. Yeah. In Elite, this is, I held down the scanner button for 10 seconds and it put a little mark that I've explored it. And I now have exploration data. Yeah, I and, have I can, th- and I can sell that when I go back to port. I can't For mine money. those rocks. Right. I can't scientifically scan those rocks to see if they have mineral value that I could then maybe set up a refinery and refine them into raw materials or maybe build a spaceport here so other people can access these rocks. No. What do you think this is, EVE Online? None of that. <laughs> I looked at the rocks. That's the gameplay. Yeah. Go home and appreciate your bank account getting slightly larger. Yes. All right, so... In our sandbox games and our TTRPGs, how do, you know, what do you do when you discover a point of interest like this? Is it a dungeon? Do they have a reason to delve into it? Mm-hmm. Is it a settlement? Do they have any reason to go visit it? How will the interesting thing be interacted with? What it, outcomes do you have? What's the gift at the end? Yeah. And will that outcome further the goal of the group? And again, if we have goals, is it a sandbox? Personal goals versus campaign goals. Right. So ultimately, like, I I find like, you know what? I'm not even going to draw conclusions here. Nope. Those, Those are my definitions of exploration, okay? There is a lot more to think about with exploration than go to place and interesting thing happen. Correct. 
I will turn it right back over to you because you have some thoughts skimmed from the world wide web. It is nearly an hour into the show, and I am sorry to say this show is probably going to run two hours. So if at this point you are not wanting to hear us stand on soapboxes and uh, talk about the internet. I, I think two hours. I think two hours is overestimating it. We're 45 minutes in. I'm just going to put this you got, out there. You got room to breathe. I got a little bit. So I'm going to start with something. You liked Metroid. It was one of Loved your it. favorite games. Super I Metroid I was it one a of the best bit. games I've ever played. I played it a little bit, but I, I, I found a quote and I thought... That it was good. I it thought it was fitting. Spot on as a huge, as a ravening, feral fangirl of Super Metroid. The, your, the, your, your, your quote is spot on. The quote is, when you played Super Metroid, you pointed out the exploration, how the exploration worked, because you of how carefully, linearly designed everything was. And how important that is to avoid leaving the players lost and frustrated. Sandbox games claim that they're great for exploration, but have n- but have none of that careful design which makes the exploration fun. Yeah, and that's the thing is, is that you look when you start in Metroid, you can go where you want within reason. Right, um, there I are mean, things that are blocking your way because you don't have access to them. Exactly. You've, we've we've uh, anybody who's dabbled even a little bit in video games has heard the term Metroidvania. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly the philosophy that designs that heuristic of, of something being a Metroidvania. Okay? Mm-hmm. Because Castlevania did very much the same thing in a lot of its later games, um, specifically like uh, uh, Symphony of the Night, where you would start off with limited access, but you had freedom to move about where you had access to. Yeah. Eventually, you would stumble upon something, you would make a discovery, an item, or weapon, or something like that, that would allow you to open new doors. Yeah. And now you would have whole other regions of the of the map that you could go into, but these weren't linear. It wasn't A into B, B into C, C into D. Mm-hmm. It was A connects to B, C, and D, and if you go into B, you find the the item that allows you to go back into A, up into C, which gets you another item, which allows you to go back into A again, maybe back into B to get into E, but also into D, which opens up F. Yeah. I mean, it's it. But I but the idea being that each one of those steps not only gains you access, but mm-hmm. gains you knowledge. Yes. Gains you abilities in some cases. And because of that nonlinear choice decision choices, still lets you move all over the place. Yeah, and then and that's not even to say anything about what we call sequence breaking, right? Uh, which is finding a clever solution to get past one of these artificial barriers. Yes, sneak your way into B long before you ever get the item that lets supposed to let there. you get in there. Um, <clears throat> so I think in that sense, that is a a good way of talking about exploration mm-hmm. and making it meaningful, giving it all of the qualities that is necessary for exploration to work. I think it's very challenging to do that without it effectively not being a sandbox yeah. by the cultural definition. Exactly, because this sort of reward for exploration requires careful crafting, which is something that a lot of people feel is antithetical to the sandbox design to begin with. Which brings me to the beginning of my discovery. So as I was looking through to see 
how the internet at large, how community and the TTRPG community, uh, storytelling, um, even some of the older stuff. I was looking back probably conservatively as, as long ago as 1999. Okay. Um, because really there was a, a large surgence of, of different forums that helped pull the, some of that information together. Yeah. One of the things, well, I'm kind of kind of walk through some of the commentary mm-hmm. so we can break it down. We did it. And, and so I can get it out to some of the, our listeners. And that is, I, I do believe that there is a lot of misrepresentation out there. Um, and that's kind of where I'm going to start from this, but I'm going to explain it by walking through some of these commentaries. Yeah, I would say the colloquial definition of a sandbox is a bit of a mess. Well, it's a, a heck of a mess because not only the definition changes through the commentary of a single individual, mm-hmm. but in re-explaining it by someone else, their definition redefines it in a totally different way. Yep. Yep. Um, there Pre- are always... Prepare yourself for this is what a sandbox is, and yeah. this is the game I run, which is a sandbox, which doesn't fit the definition I just gave. So I'm going to start with this that that was interesting. Most elites go about it poorly. I love opening with that. Mm-hmm. They sprinkle enormous threats randomly among the hexes without establishing the narrative history of the ecology. The monsters are just there in their lairs, waiting for poor adventurers to wander into the wrong cave. They might be some modicum of interaction with the world, such as a dragon who holds a nearby village in their thrall, but for the most part, they're static enemies. This concept that you pre-populate your map with monsters Mm -hmm. that are just there, Mm -hmm. that your players will find as they march around the highlands, is, is sandbox technically? Yeah in their definition, but the thought of it not being part of a world removes how your players can even think about it. Right, right. Now they can't draw any logical conclusions from yeah. that setup because the setup itself is random. There's yes. nothing there's no clues to indicate what is in the next hex. Yeah. I walk into a restaurant, ask for a table, and I see booths, high tops, three bars a private room that's just sitting by itself and one lone chair. And I'm like, what am I, where am I eating? Mm -hmm. And then as I sit down, a dessert tray passes me with French crepes at the same time as tacos at the same time as a large slab of beef that is literally on fire and two aliens talking on a platter with a fork out of one of their heads. Welcome to Ramshorn. Yes, I have no idea what's going on, and no one's handed me a menu. Mm-hmm. That is this design of open box. Yep. It's open sandbox. So it the internet doesn't know as a whole, and there is no good definitions. And it leads this on to this comment, which the entirety of it made me angry. <laughs> yeah. But the presentation of this particular part gave me hope and disgust at the same time a sandbox is not goal oriented nor or non-goal oriented a sandbox is alive a world that gives zero f's for the players but it's worrying about itself the world came first not the players nothing is scaled nothing sits in its cavern chamber waiting for the player to happen along the ecology exists because it makes for a dynamic world the global regional events that are escalation or de-escalation or vanish happen because the world is alive. 
Some of you may be saying, that sounds like a sandbox. That sounds great. It sounds so great. That sounds like a complicated mess to keep track of. If you are literally ignoring the players and what they've done. And instead running a world simulation in the background. You are running Minecraft. Yeah. You are literally running Minecraft while your players are dabbling around. In my personal opinion, why are you even there? Yeah, I mean, for for the your your opinion is why are you even there. My opinion is who's running all of these calculations. Yeah, who is figuring out what the what is going on in every hex of your map that the ecology is living and breathing and. Like, if you're not worrying about where the players are and you're trying to make your world just breathe and then your players can move around it, like, that sounds like 30 times more work than you ever need to be doing as a storyteller. Because your players aren't experiencing 29 (laughs) of those 30 things. And also, their goals no longer matter. Yeah. Like, maybe it kind of matters to them individually, but you're not listening. The the world's not going to alter when their choice when they make a choice within it mm-hmm. because all those people have goals and again were there long before the players and will be there long after the players. Yeah, I mean that is a great commentary if you want to think about how to be a god. How like if I want to NPC a god, that is a great way to do it. Yeah. I will be here. I will be here after you. You mean nothing to me. Mm-hmm. You want to interact with me? That's how I'm going to respond. That's how I roleplay the dragons in my setting. Yeah. And in all honesty, it should be how all characters at a higher level than uh, a higher quote unquote level uh, in, 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 um, cultural design mm-hmm. should react. Heatsink says it's quantum ogres all the way down, buddy. We'll get to quantum we will, ogres oh my, because we'll that, to... that will trigger some people in the sandbox discussion. Yeah, it really does. It really does. <laughs> so, but what I want to say is that when we're talking about a sandbox, we are literally defining a a metaphor that is known. You put your child in a sandbox to let them play with the sand. Mm-hmm. There is a physical box around it. The you... operative word in sandbox, sandbox is box. If it's just the sand, an endless form of sand, that's called a desert, and nobody wants to go around in a desert. Charitably, it's a beach. No, because you know what a beach has? Water. Water. <laughs> you know what a beach has? Grass and other things beyond the other side of it. This is just sand. That's called a desert. And you're stuck in it, and there's nothing else there but sand. Yep. So let's talk about those boundaries. These also are important. beach volleyball. Well, possibly. Because, again, now you're saying it's a beach box, not a sandbox. Fair. Because you've just told me what's in the box. Oh, God, I'm railroading you. Well, maybe as a player you're helping to define it. In that case, we're playing Powered <laughs> by the Apocalypse, and it's not a sandbox game anymore, according to the Internet. <sighs> so stop it. Everybody just stop it. Let's really get defining of what a damn sandbox is and get over it. But along with that, I'm going to step into two other words that make me angry about this topic. Oh, my goodness. So let's talk a little bit about some misconceptions and some concerning trends. All right. I found now I'm getting a little higher in the box. Take a deep breath first off before you go into this. Let me get some tea. Let's just roll it back a second here. All right. (laughs) So the internet as a whole as I was going through this, had a lot of commentary. And one of the biggest things that they kept talking about was player agency. For instance, sandbox to me is player agency. A sandbox is when players make the decisions. They decide what is a sandcastle. 
The DM sees their sandcastle and makes it into a kingdom. Then they crush the sandcastle and an empire falls. Okay. Defining player agency as their ability to come up with all of the creative concepts that need to come out in the game is an incorrect statement. I'm not going to go into the higher levels of that, but effectively what you're saying is is that you as a GM no longer have to have original thoughts. It is all up to what the players come up with from the sand that you've given them. And and moreover, it, it, it heavily implies that the storyteller is just there in service to the players and basically should be taking instruction or dictation from them. And what I will say to that is that t- right there is not player agency. That is a GM-less game. Yeah. What you've just done is created a GM-less game. Yeah. If you're you not... want to play those, there's nothing wrong with that. Just stop calling it player agency. You're not doing anything other than running a background simulation for them at that point. Correct. This went on to say, the opposite would be a railroad. The same content, but the DM guides the players through the material. They've built the sandbox and are letting the players interact with what they've made, rather than the DM interacting with what the players are interested in. Number two, railroading is not having a plot and driving your players through that plot. It is taking the agency that they take to that plot away from them and telling them what steps have occurred. At that point, you're writing a book. You're forcing them down a very narrow path instead of just accepting them. So what I will say to this commentary is the fact that they don't understand what player agency is and they really don't understand what railroading is. Yeah. Because if you take away what they said and say the same content but the DM guides the players through the material, yes, that's called an adventure. Yeah. That's called a campaign. Yeah. You're, you're, you're guiding them through the content, not a novel. That's the difference. Content is different than a novel. Mm-hmm. You know, if I've written the story, then yes, I'm railroading them. This is how I see things go. But if I don't, and I just have, here's the thing that's happening now. Oh, that's the way you handled it? Okay, here's what's next. Mm -hmm. Because that's what the content produces. That's fine. There's nothing that's wrong within that framework. The op- the opposite would be railroading. I think is the that's, one that I take the big yes. the big issue with because it's like the there's so many other options uh, beyond player agency and and railroading. You yes. know, yes. like there's literally a whole middle ground just called the consequences of your actions. Yes. You know, the logical outcomes that are still out of your control. That is not railroading to say something bad happens to your characters because you made a crappy choice. Yes. That, you know? <laughs> and we said that before. The last thing I'm going to throw at this kind of, well, second to last thing I'll say is that, and this was very common to see, and I think this comment put it to perspective to, of what I saw out there as a commonality was sandboxes shouldn't be attempted unless you've been running games for a while or your improv is spectacular. Sandbox games tend to fall apart. And this is the neat part. True sandbox, where the GM kind of leans back and hopes for the players to amuse them. Unless you also have a very good group of players with very detailed characters. If you think being a DM is sitting back and watching your very good role players amuse you, 
to create your content, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. You are not a storyteller. You're not doing anything, honestly. You're, you're it's, not... a, it's, it's another DMless game. Correct. You you're know? just watching. You're, you're perusing what is going on. You're not listening to what they're doing, their hopes, their dreams, their drives, and tying that to something narrative. You're just running a simulation and, ch- and helping them with their tables and their rule checks and laughing along with them. Mm-hmm. That's all you're doing there. This leads to my last comment, which is about scaling. Sandboxes tend to mean freedom. It has to mean encounters aren't scaled to the party. Oh, and this one made you extraordinarily angry, and it I, I didn't I didn't get angry about it, but I get angry because this what we're talking about has nothing to do with scale. Yeah, it has everything to do with narration and plot, and they're bringing leveling and scale, which is a concept for D and D, for games where gaining levels by murdering or stealing or doing an activity so that I can be better and better equipped to do the next thing. That's scaling. Yeah. That's why you need scaling. Yeah. It's 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 a lot of like the the, the mentality. Uh, see, I I I understand the nuance in this comment. I agree. Right. But we're back to semantics causing problems, which is where I'm coming from. But I but continue with your thought. I want you to finish it. Right. Okay. So for me, I I, I kind of get where this is coming from, and uh, like the. So, okay, so sandbox tends to mean freedom. It, it, it has to mean encounters aren't scaled to the party, okay? And what to me this means is if in your narrative there is a red dragon that lives at the top of the volcano, you know, an elder red dragon that lives at the top of the volcano, right? Oh, did we did we just hit outro music again? We went right through it. Oh, my goodness. Right through my conversation. So, hey, <laughs> do me a favor, Overwatch. When did it start? Like what was I saying when it uh, when it kicked in? Because I'll roll back. Yeah, we'll we'll see what we can do. About we'll see that. if we can recover this a little bit because I, I I think I know roughly where it hit. Uh, but anyways, um, continue your thought. You okay? So if you if in your if in your story you say that there's a red dragon living at the top of the you know the top of the volcano, right? Sure. And your party says, well, we're level three, you know, adventurers. I assume we're just playing D and D, right? That's a perfectly valid game to be playing. Um. And we're just gonna, we're gonna go up on top of the mountain because you know in a very meta game sense uh, we understand that the storyteller is going to give us challenge rating three stuff mm-hmm. because we're only level three and it wouldn't be fair if he just threw an elder red dragon at us and you throw an elder red dragon at them and wipe them in one hit mm-hmm. it's their dumbasses that went up there and you get to say hey buddy this wasn't scaled to the party like i'm not gonna make that dragon a young red dragon so you can kill it i told you it was an elder red dragon and you still chose to go up there and antagonize it right okay so charitably i understand what that means okay mm-hmm. however where this starts to become a problem is when there is no foreshadowing to tell you there is a red dragon on top of the mountain. Or, okay. and I will say this on the other side of this because I forgot this originally, was you're also having to communicate with your players that scaling is off the table. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's a preconception that that's the way it's supposed to be, that's your fault as a storyteller to not communicate that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, like, I mean, like, for, first off, I don't, I don't think anyone thinks that you should be scaling. To me, that's like a, that is a metagame concern. Well, I think that's a and d thing that was put out in the, the world a long time ago as a mistake. Yeah, it's a, it's a very largely D&D thing. Well, it's, um, it's also a video game thing. But, but it's a video game thing, and we've talked a little bit before about the reciprocal effect of, uh, uh, D&D influenced video games, and then video games begin to influence D&D, and then they just do that forever. Uh, into into perpetuity. Um, but uh, where this starts to to have some real problems is like where a lot of people run their quote unquote sandbox games as hex crawls, right? And in a traditional hex crawl, um, you're going to be rolling a lot on like random charts and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and you won't know what is in the next hex on the map until you enter it mm-hmm. and then we find out what happens you right make a decision to either stay or leave and so you'll have a lot of like you know cutthroat you know hardcore sandbox storytellers who are like well you know i don't scale things to the party if you end up on a hex with a big elder red dragon on it and it kills you so what that's just how my world goes it doesn't care about you mm-hmm. but there's Again, it's a random role, so there's no ecology, there's no clue to tell you that, like, all the telltale clues that there should be a red dragon in this hex, maybe we shouldn't go there. Or or even if there wasn't, even if it was, like, a hidden, back behind the, I have a DM screen, you don't, I know where all the battleships sit, and you're ticking through, and I'm just waiting for you to cross it, and you crossed into that area... Oh, that's the way it is. Yep. This is how the ecology works. You didn't see the signs. You didn't get the lore to know that. Oops. Right. You hid plot information behind challenges that the players didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's which all, all because you wanted to maintain the world, maintain the illusion that the world doesn't care about them. That there's a fog of war as well. Yeah, that there's a fog of war, and you can't possibly know these things. And if you just happen to stumble into deadly danger, then that's just the way the world goes. Yes, and it, again, suck it up, Buttercup. If you're doing a survival game that is roguelike, yeah, then it has to have some sort of functional enjoyment within that framework Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with playing that game design but if the whole thing is we clear the map and at the end of the map there's some benefit um i literally read where a guy jumped into a game luckily near the end where literally the whole purpose was just to uncover all the hexes and when they did that there was another map with empty hack with with blank hexes and they continued. And literally the players all left the game. They're all like, and we're done. And he's like, well, what's wrong? Aren't we going to keep going? He's like, they're like, no, we finished the map. We're done. Yeah, like... They wh- kept playing. Why? What's what's the deal? Because they were hoping there would be something of value mm-hmm. after finishing all the hexes, and there wasn't. Congratulations. All your tedious, uh, tedious work got you more tedious work. Correct. Yep. Correct. And yep. I think that's where a lot of people don't like the grind of grind games. Mm-hmm. Where it's, I grind this so that I can get to my next level, which requires me to get more items that I have to grind to get to the next level, which gives me a new item that I now have to grind different materials to get to the next level. There, there's, But there's no benefit to what I'm doing, what I'm producing, other yeah. than money, yeah. which 
it becomes meaningless. It becomes meaningless after after a fashion. Right? Yeah. When one of the greatest things that I ever saw was why do we play Eve? Why are you a minor in Eve? In solo, or a small group. Mm-hmm. Well, so we have enough money to buy the ships we want to do what? To go exploring. To to do what? To find more mining places that you can hide out in before, so no one else can steal it from you there. Mm-hmm. And then you do it again until you have to do it again. Yeah. Is is that the game grind loop? Is is that enjoyable? Like, is in that was a legitimate question. Like, I'm not questioning. I'm click just, on I need rocks to know. so you can get enough money to buy a better ship to find different rocks to click on. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Until you find that that's not enough. Yep. And then you make your own drama. Yeah. Because you're bored with lots and lots of money. Yes. And then when someone sees that you have lots and lots of money, they want your lots and lots of money. So, and I, I think that's where player drive pushes into this a little bit, is because, sure, you can still have an open world. Like, I'll dare say Shadowrun can create a very sandbox environment. I have a setting that has interesting things that can be defined within it. I have players who come in with a loose goal, right? Mm-hmm. The reason why they're all together is a very simple one. Sure, we all and, need money. And they can pick from the, you know, the, the the playlist, if you will, to decide what they do and don't want to do. It's just job after job. The only the only song on the playlist in a Shadowrun game is Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap. Exactly. But it's still, the reason why you're doing it can be varied, but it doesn't matter. You're just going to keep doing that thing. if you As long as you're keeping it within the sandbox scope. Right. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is that at a certain point, it just is a loop and there's no interest to it. The only reason why D&D has an interest is because levels, levels create new things for you. That's the benefit. Yeah. If you remove those, for instance, and you say, I don't know, there is no levels or you you start at level four, and we're not adding any experience, so the game is the game, suddenly the game has to be interesting. Mm -hmm. And there just isn't one there when all you do is kill and change gear. Yep. So my misconceptions come down to this, is that people don't understand player agency, sandbox, and the word narrative. I think those three things are all put at odds in a triad. No one is teaching what those are. We do. We talk about it here. Yeah. But we are one voice in a very small community trying to get bigger. Yeah. So having the idea that a sandbox and player agency and narrative are at odds is an in, is a misconception and is flat out wrong. Just because you came into TTRPGs with the idea that a grindhouse is your idea and players die and then you move on and make another player. Yeah, you should have a stack of characters ready to go because you're going to mill through those, you know. That isn't a sandbox either. That's just roguelike, Mm -hmm. right? And that's where a lot of people came from because they felt that they had agency to just keep playing, right? And saying that if you go into a D&D game and there are plot hooks and a thread where you have somewhere to go and that immediately makes it a railroaded narrative. Yeah. That now I, I don't have a choice. I have to do this. I can't be this lone wolf. Right? Mm-hmm. No, that just makes you a bad player in a multiplayer game. Yeah. That makes you the dude in Minecraft who when everyone shows up, you're like, I'm going to take off this way. See you guys in a few. 
Yeah. Okay, well, you're no longer playing with friends. You're just on the same server. Sorry, yeah. that that's how that works. I've, I've, I've been on those servers before. Yep. Okay, guys, we're going to build a community. Oh, I just killed the Under Dragon. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I used a shovel to do it. Yeah. You know, with a bucket on my head. You guys need a stack of diamonds? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, so I think the part that gets me is TTRPG, t- blah, blah, blah. TTRPGs are not a grind house of characters killing one another that makes player agency over railroading. Mm-hmm. TTRPGs are not an open world where you can do whatever you want and go wherever you want because there's no plot. That isn't what makes it a sandbox. Mm-hmm. TTRPGs are not a silent GM waiting for you to make a decision so that they can place models and terrain and roll counter dice waiting for you to do something cool or make a decision that makes it not narrative. Mm-hmm. Okay. All of those things, in my opinion, are bad gaming. You're, yeah. you're not being a storyteller. You're not being a good player. And you're, you're not understanding what player agency is. What you do with your character is player agency. When the storyteller doesn't take away your actions or make your actions meaningless and have no effect within the scene, they don't necessarily have to impact the world in a great way. Sure. But they definitely have to have weight within the story sure. to be able to do that. And we have whole generations of gamers. Not, I'm not talking ages. I'm not talking Gen X, Gen Y. That is not what I'm talking about here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about when you entered into playing uh, TTRPGs, mm-hmm. you know, post-digital, you know, age, and you've been playing them for a period of time, those people find themselves that they are not in ro- roguelike grindhouses, and they think they don't have agency. And they feel railroaded because of it. Correct. And yeah. that is the common yeah. misconception I find every time out there. Mm-hmm. So what I'm going to say is players out there who are concerned about storied games, games that have narrative and plot and storytellers who are trying their best to make sure that there is meaning and impact within their stories, understand that this is not removing your agency. Mm -hmm. This isn't making it not open world. What this is, is trying to make impact for what you as characters are doing to make you big damn heroes or or monsters or whatever your player is motivated and moving through yeah the uh to to me like the the conclusion i begin to draw here is is that you've got people think that your players driving the plot is what makes it a sandbox you know you can't you can't have a a, you know, plots coming up to them and, and, and trying to rope them in and stuff like that. They they have to be making the decisions, otherwise it, it, it's not player agency. But, first off, your characters can always choose to interact, not to interact, and how to interact, mm-hmm. okay? That is agency. That is agency, right? And having a plot does not remove that agency, Okay, a good storyteller will then say, okay, they didn't engage with that. What are the consequences of not engaging, if there are any? Sure. And what can I better put forward to them that will engage them? Exactly. Since they didn't engage with the thing that I offered them. Yep. Um, 
and the more you you start to look at it, the less you kind of acknowledge that the term sandbox really kind of exists. So I will say this, and this is I, I said this to you earlier, and I think it it really puts it in my headspace accurately, and that is sandbox is a start point. Yeah. That's all it is. That is all it is. It can sometimes be a return point, mm-hmm. but sandboxing is literally where you say, I, as a storyteller, don't have a direction. I don't, I haven't prepared anything. I really don't have. I have some ideas about how the world functions. Mm-hmm. I know the movement of pieces in a grand scale. So when once I see the players and get to know them and see what buttons they want to push or what directions they want to step in or whatever it may be, then I can start to work with them to push a narrative down a direction. And at that point, yes, you are doing a narrative and you are following a narrative flow. You're mm-hmm. listening. Now, you can do that reactively or proactively sure there's there's different ways to do that we've talked about it and your players can still retain agency throughout that narrative and i hope they do i really hope they do otherwise you might be railroading sure but that's a check at that point and when it's all over as long as they have received a benefit at the end of it and have found joy and are interested to continue within this world framework you have you can go right back to the open world design. Mm-hmm. They can find interest in the other things that you may have left for them as scraps within that previous narrative that it was part of the open world that was living and breathing around them, which you should always have. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing to say that they can't just immediately come back and build their house or farm or do whatever. Retire the character if they want they to. They want to play Stardew Valley for a month and a half? Go let them, you know? And I think that's the key to the key difference within the framework is, is that Stardew Valley is a start point mm-hmm. for plots to grow from and return to. And I think that's the one ring does really well. Yeah. Is yeah. that you go on an adventure. You're get the process of getting there is a little random and some of the things from a from a safe home base mm-hmm. out into the world on the on the journey to the destination and then on the journey home as well correct and you know that there are things out there you're aware of them because the world is breathing around you mm-hmm. but it's the storyteller giving you those sprinkles that are out there for you to say i'm interested in that i'm going to go in that direction and now we have a narrative yeah uh you bring up the one ring um and and rightly so Mm-hmm. Uh, the game I want to bring up as the MVP of sandboxes for me is Dungeon World. I mentioned it earlier. Yeah. I said I'd get back to it. Yeah, and I agree. Honestly, the two two things that they wrote in that book that stick with me forever it was mm-hmm. my introduction to Powered by the Apocalypse. Yes. And those two things that, that, that have stuck with me forever that I think are the heart and soul of what a sandbox is to me. Mm-hmm. And that is draw a map, but leave blanks mm-hmm. and be a fan of your players. Mm-hmm. Okay. If your players pick up something and go, this is fun and interesting, man, you make that thing the central part of your plot because the players have said it is fun and interesting. And as a storyteller, my job is to make my story and my world and my game sessions that I am facilitating fun and interesting for my players and make sure that everybody is smiling at the end of the day. Yeah. Okay. If, If I am sitting here going... This is going to be a slog, and my world doesn't care. That doesn't sound fun at all. No. Nobody's going to enjoy playing my game. Not for long. Not for long, at least. Yeah. You know. So, be a fan of your players. Draw a world. Leave some blanks. 
let your players tell you what's in those blanks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Your world's going to be richer for it. Yep. All right, we have good questions. We have and quite really a few of them. Really good questions. So thank you, everyone. Uh, do you want to mix it up? Or you want to start with, start from the top here. I'll let you choose. All right, so let's just start from the top. It keep things in order here. So Nevum, uh, as per usual, we've got a bunch of questions. Um, how how do you efficiently prepare a sandbox game? I'm be straight up with you, Nevum. I don't think there is an efficient way to prepare a sandbox game. I think there is. I think there are some efficient ways, and I think your efficiency basically you're still doing many of the things you would do for a normal game. Mm -hmm. You're still meta understanding your players. You're letting them know whether it's violent or anything like that. But as far as the sandbox is concerned, that aspect of it, the, you're right. I take it back. Hold on. Go ahead. The parts that, that for me that really make it efficient for a sandbox is making sure that the players know about the world. Mm -hmm. That they are presented with the world, but they're not presented with all of the problems. That's the thing. Yes, 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 okay. yes. Now, that's, having given it a moment of thought while you were talking, that's, yes. where, that's where I was going to go with it. The three parts of – the three things you have to understand is basically sandboxes can be something, but you have worlds that are either a pre-generated setting mm -hmm. where you can hand them novella of information about the setting. Great. That's sure. wonderful. Doesn't matter. Right. They can then look at that and get ideas for who they are and where they might fit into the world. But the thing is, is when they come together, you at when you build something like that, you have to give them a fixed point of origin. Mm -hmm. And that fixed point of origin has to let them know where they sit within the world, where they crash landed effectively within that setting. And I, I say crash landed because that's often a good way to start when you don't know where you are. Sure. I played No Man's Sky. I know how that goes. Right. So you. You might be mindless in a space, but you know where you're sitting. Yeah. Right? Um, the second is is that you have a purpose for them to be there. The setting is existing, but the reason why they're getting pulled together is the next point what of that. What do they do? Right. Or what are they currently doing that puts them all in the same – put all their butts in the same seats? Yeah, even if it's just like professional dungeon delvers. Where's the dungeon? Great. Give Great. us a dungeon. Right. Okay, cool. Sure. Wonderful. Right. And then the third one of those is something that is breaking them from the norm of their existence. Now, this is the one that this is the one that I saw that I felt was weird until I really understood what it was. And that is, is that not everyone starts out as a hero. Mm -hmm. Some people start as zeros. In fact, almost everyone starts as a zero. So the point is, is that what is breaking them from this to put them into the world? What is their crash point? What is the pebble that disturbed the, 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 the thing and turned it into a landslide of adventure? Correct. Once they understand that vector, mm -hmm. you've got your start point to be able to put the sprinkles out before them. Yep. That's what you need. That's yep. the prep point so that they all understand. So those three things become what you have to imagine. So you have the setting has can be given, but they still have to know where they land, or what their purpose for being within that setting is, or what is the thing that is breaking them from their norms. Mm -hmm. And those, in most cases, are going to be the a common thing between all the characters. Regardless of how they observe it, what their perception point of it is, it is all the same breaking point. There is a revolution going on. That's going to upset a lot of people for a lot of reasons. Sure. But they can all point something at that. Mm -hmm. You're all poor. And reputationless, okay? We need money or fame. 
Yeah. Great. And Yo. sometimes you discover this stuff in session zero. Everybody starts making yeah. an independent character, and you go, oh, wow, we all have dead mothers, like, you know, or we something like that. You know, issues, yeah, right? exactly. Like, what, what do you think that's what brought us together? You know, right. maybe there was something behind all that, and your players start talking, and they invent that on their own. But yep. So, there you go. Uh, the, the only thing I would add is um, going right back to don't write anything that isn't in front of your characters. You know, how do you efficiently go about writing the sandbox game, preparing for a sandbox game? By not preparing 90% of it. Make a brochure. Make the 10% of it what is in front of your characters, Mm -hmm. sketch out a few avenues of escape from that place, and then wait to see what they choose before sketching anything else. Because if you try to sketch your entire world with, as one of our comments that we read earlier uh, elaborated on, 40,000 years worth of world history, you are doing too much. Yes, I agree. You're writing novellas. How can I mix a sandbox game and a mission-like game? It's called Stargate. Yeah. Watch the series. You (laughs) give them a plethora of choices. Mm -hmm. There you have your player agency. You have your sandbox element of they can go anywhere and do anything. But once they make a choice, you then write the a, a fun, interesting, engaging plot that will be interesting to the players and provide them with interesting choices and interesting outcomes. Yes. Until they complete that, return to the safety of home, and then we make another choice. Yep. That's that's the key to a good because and that thing is is that the choice may be we're sitting around having Cheetos and watching a game. Sure. Great. That's a choice. That's a choice. That's a total choice. It's downtime. Yep. You know? Uh, let's see here. Uh, does a sandbox game imply more active players? I would say it requires more active players. In fact, yeah, I um, would ag- I would agree because if your players are asking for a sandbox, then what they're saying is is that they want more space within that to to to. It, to move around. Yeah. There, there's a there's a bit of a dilemma that, you know, that, that comes in. We touched on this a little bit earlier where um, there's a conflict of interest in most people's definition of a sandbox between player agency. The players make all the decisions of what to do and where to go and the world is just there mm-hmm. and doesn't care about them. And... I want to have a big, living, breathing world with things going on all the time that go on around the players. The players cannot exist in a living, breathing world without being influenced by it. Mm -hmm. And if you're influenced by the world, you're going to be plot hooked Mm -hmm. into things. You know, consider just the average YouTube rabbit hole that all of us have fallen down from one time to another, okay? Mm -hmm. YouTube hands me an algorithm. It says, these videos might be interesting to you. It suggests something, and I go, oh, that's a catchy thumbnail, and I click on it. What that is, is that is the you, the, the, the world, YouTube, offering me a plethora of choices because it is doing things. It has created that algorithm, and it, it, is, it is constantly changing with what is what videos are up there, what content creators are creating things, et cetera, et cetera. What's trending, what's not. What's trending, what's not. Exactly. 
and then I have chosen to engage with one of those things that I wouldn't have chosen to if if the YouTube algorithm weren't trying to suggest it to me. Mm-hmm. And once I've made that choice, I am engaged with it, and then I follow where that goes. Maybe I click on another video because that topic was intriguing to me. But the key also is is that at the end, when you close out of those and go back to your home, it knows. It saw what you did, and now it knows your interest. And there's five more videos in the general same vein and and or from the same people or within interest circles. Yes. It is listening. So the question then becomes, was YouTube, i.e. the world, the plot, the storyteller, the active one that put that in front and removed my agency by giving me a suggestion and expecting me to click on it? Or was it I, the player, the viewer of that YouTube, clicking on it, creating... It Was that my active choice to do so, right? Mm-hmm. Is there a meaningful difference? I submit to you there really isn't. No. And I think it's a sprinkle, or as I said earlier, it's it's that it's that taste at the beginning. I think the part that we haven't brought back around, which is the part that I'm going to bring up right here, which uh-huh. is the fact that when you click on that video and then there's a follow-up video, that's your quantum ogres. Yeah. Because it's like, I knew you'd be interested in this, and now you're wanting to be interested in this next <laughs> one. And you're like... So I moved it from here and put it in front of you. And now you're like, yep. I am interested in that. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So that is how that works. Uh, but I, I guess in the purest sense of a sandbox, yeah, you are going to be looking for more more active players because you are going to be depending on them to make choices to show you where you need to write the world for them. Right. They're going to need to be able to communicate with you. All right. And his last question, uh, how do you incorporate an overhaul plot in a sandbox game? I'm not really sure. Overall. Oh, overall plot I think that's in what that is, game? yes. So, in my personal opinion, in a sandbox game is an opening point. Mm -hmm. It is not an overall plot. If you're thinking of an overall plot, maybe you're actually thinking about world events. Yeah. And if you're going to do a world event, that's just setting moving around the players. And that's a style of storytelling where basically the players have agency within it, but the events are going to happen. Yeah. They're not part of those events. The story isn't about them affecting those events. They're environmental events like a revolution or a storm. Or a war or any number of other things that are just outside of their reach. Yep. You know? And that is very common. But within those events, there are stories to be told. People to be saved, places to go, things to experience. I mean, whole movies have been made within overarching events. So mm-hmm. I think if you're if you're looking for an overall plot in that sense that pushes to that scale, that's really what that is. Otherwise, if you want to create an overall plot and you have an idea for something, it is your sprinkles that start things to find the interest that your players are leaning toward. And then at that point, you can then do breadcrumbing to yeah. see which direction they want to go. I, I would... S- I would dare say by the understanding of what we've come to know a sandbox to be throughout the course of this discussion, Mm -hmm. the pure act of having an overall plot is antithesis to a sandbox. You're not, you're not starting at a sandbox then 
because it's you're not presenting them with multiple plots. Right. And and if at any point you have strung together a confluence of events in your sandbox that points towards an overall plot and you decide to seize upon it and say, I am going to connect these things and I'm going to make that the story, you have officially moved out of sandbox yep. and into narrative. Correct. And that's fine. That's fine. That's, that's absolutely Congratulations. Fine. That's a good move as far as I'm concerned. You've just simplified your existence. Yeah, you've just simplified <laughs> your existence because you know exactly what sort of stuff you need to be writing now. Or, or at least you know the vector of where the story is going and how the players can push that vector. Yes, exactly. So... All right, Overwatch asks, uh, do you have, uh, sorry, do any game systems come to mind that lend themselves to a more sandbox-style game, or any that would make running a sandbox-style game more difficult? I would say both of those things are true for a lot of systems. Um, I think, again, working with the definition as we have defined it, sandbox Mm -hmm. games are a great start point. So one of the best things, at least in my mind frame, is making sure that all the players are on the same page. Even players who don't necessarily, and I'm going to use this, I'm going to use a term here that I wouldn't normally use, but I think it it frames it better. When players have maybe not the creativity or activity level coming into a game to maybe make a a, a deep character who has goals and stuff like that. No, that's, that's fair. There's no judgment in that. There's players come in all shapes and sizes. Yeah, and they play for different reasons. Yeah. So having a sandbox game that starts, like I said, with a common goal for players of why they're there so that they don't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. Like, why am I here? You're a shadow runner. What is that? Shadow runners look for money or fame or glory. Oh, okay. It's easy for me to figure out. Boom. It doesn't matter what the plot hooks are out there because they're not looking for those. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a good thing. All washing up on a shore is great because y'all came from the same ship. And one of those people could have amnesia and have no idea who they are. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Right? There's At that point, because you're all just trying to survive. And I think having survival as a thing, that is a great drive as well. That's a direct point. Knowing how the world is, there are dangerous dinosaurs here. You need to work together to survive. That's a direction. Mm-hmm. So it's not saying how to do it. It's not saying what's going to happen next. It's not even saying where you guys should go to try and survive. It's literally like, this is what you need to do. So... That way, as a group, they, decisions can be made. So it's not just one player, you know, who ha- each a bunch of individual players who have individual drive coming up with their neat character backgrounds and stuff that you then can work to weave together. Mm-hmm. So I say that I would say that games that have settings and mechanics built in to give you gift you that are a great start point for sandboxes. That's an excellent answer. Um I would say that D&D is a challenging game for sandboxes. I don't know about that. I mean, it's got a lot of its roots in things like OSR and Hexcrawl and stuff like that. So, like, you can... Keep okay, going, okay. keep going. I'm going to explain why, but I want to I want to hear... No, I mean, I look, the thing the thing about D&D's gameplay loop is it's it's pretty simplistic. Because mm-hmm. basically everything just comes down to combat, yep. right? Oh, I so agree. So if you can find fun and interesting ways to make their choices lead to a new and fun and interesting combat encounter, boom, you've got a sandbox game. I don't care which direction you guys go. I can find something for you to fight when you get there. And my concern with that is it makes sandboxing difficult because it doesn't give you anything other than levels to represent how you're doing 
and it creates it into a roguelike game. Sure. In my personal opinion, that's not a sandbox game then. I, I, I'd hate it, but it's still a sandbox. And that's why I won't agree with it. Yeah. It, the tool sets aren't complete. It says use a CR rating. That's against a sandbox design. Right, right there. Like, uh, oh, I'm sorry. You guys, y'all can't hear me shrugging over a microphone. <laughs> right. But, but the whole point of where that scaling and leveling comes from in those commentaries that people make, that's D&D that invented that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. That's video games in D&D that pushed that into tabletop RPGs. That wasn't there before. Yeah. So the only reason why it was there was to tell you how much XP you got from it. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think they're particularly mutually exclusive either. Uh, but the, the, where I'm, what I'm what I'm what I'll come down to is I would say the other the other games that aren't sandboxy mm-hmm. or that don't lend themselves well to sandboxy are ones where you are you are <laughs> you are given too much, and you have to. You, there's just there's too much world and design out there. Or too much character design out there for you to even wrap your hands around to say, how am I bringing this together? Uh, I'm going to disagree with you there. Okay. Because, again, assuming you have the right type of group for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Assuming you have a group conducive to it. Right. Okay. Having that wealth of information and that wealth of of world building already done for you and such like that, an educated player will be able to make educated decisions about where they want to wander. And that solves one of the core core problems I had with with exploration to begin with, Mm -hmm. which was, okay, here, you're in a world. Go anywhere. Yeah. Okay. Why? Where? Yeah. What's what's driving me towards one direction or another any more than anything else? Do we just pick a random number between 1 and 360, point our compass towards that and go? Yeah. Or, you know, but an educated player in a game that does have a very rich world, like, you know, I mean, we'll go back to D&D, okay? Mm-hmm. Faerun. I mean, decades worth of lore have been built into Faerun, okay? An educated player who knows Faerun like it's their own backyard is going to be able to go drop into a sandbox game and go, I got an idea. Let's head to Candlekeep or Mm -hmm. whatever, you know? Here's the reasons why. Mm -hmm. Here's a goal we would be accomplishing by doing so. Or I've always wanted to just go there and find out what happens because X, Y, or Z is rumored to have been there. Yeah. You and, know. and in that sense, I think, and this is just me, mm-hmm. you run the risk as a storyteller not being able to keep up. You have too much. It's volumetric problems. Now you have to figure out what is Candlekeep? Where is Candlekeep? Do I need to buy a bunch of shit to figure out how to run this adventure? Do I just grab the adventure and run the adventure? I mean, the good news is there's a map and there is an adventure. And, and therefore, it's no longer a sandbox. All you did was metagame a session zero with your players to find out where they wanted to go. Is it is it a sandbox if your players still have the agency to say they want to go to Candlekeep and you say, okay? Then you're ju- again, I don't think that's a sandbox game. That is literally... Why not? Because all you did was session zero and they said that's where they wanted to go. And so session one starts the adventure Candlekeep. Well, you don't, no, I'm just saying Candlekeep is a destination. You don't have to run Candlekeep Adventures or whatever the name of the with module you. is. But, okay. but again, what I'm saying is, is that if, if I have, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll give another example, Dune. Sure. There's a ridiculous amount of information <laughs> D- in Dune. Dune is a sandbox. That's funny on <laughs> a lot you. of levels. Thank you. But at the same time, <laughs> as a storyteller, like if players want to do 
I don't know, go fight the Harkonnens uh-huh. and take them out. Good idea. Okay, that's one. Nobody likes them. I'm kind of with you on all that. You know, they want to go to Ix, get a lot of machines, go, you know, mess up the Fremen, you know, use the Fremen to go take care of them, whatever. Like, there's a lot of work effort that you now have to do that that game really doesn't give you all the tool sets for knowledge-wise. My Discord handle is a killing word. Yes. So (laughs) that's all I'm saying. From my perspective, that's where I see that. I see some games that are exceptionally where, like, Stars Without Numbers, go have fun. Yeah. Go freaking... exceptional sandbox game. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy yourself. That game plays both sandbox and non-sandbox equally as well. Uh, I, I, I have a slightly different answer from you. What makes a crappy sandbox game... Any game that is designed for a short-form game. We reviewed Arc Doom. Oh, God, yeah. Terrible sandbox game. Why? Because it's meant to be played in, like, one to three sessions. Yeah. You don't have the room to go anywhere and have, you yeah. know... Is like, there a Doom clock? Then pff, not a sandbox yeah, game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, something like Zhang Shi, Blood in the Banquet Hall. Not a... Not, not def- a sandbox game. No. That is a game about a group of Chinese immigrants in Chinatown in the 1920s running a restaurant and fighting hopping vampires. Yep. Brindlewood Bay. That is what it is about. Yeah. You do not have agency to not be a Chinese immigrant, <laughs> not run a Chinese restaurant, or not fight hopping vampires. <laughs> if you want that, you shouldn't be playing Zhang Shi. Yes. Oh, there's, there's uh, yeah, so like many... you said, Brindlewood Bay. Yeah. Would you, I? I choose. I want to play Brindlewood Bay, but I don't want to be an old woman who's a fan of of uh, the, of, of murder author. novels. Well, too bad. That's what you are. Guess what? <laughs> Sorry. Here's Secretly, your red hat. You are. <laughs> here's your red hat. Here's your ball of yarn. Here's your seven cats. Now yeah. go solve a mystery. Exactly. <laughs> there's somebody dead. Ah, <laughs> yeah. uh, yes. All right, yes. Clement A. Clem- Clement or Clement? I'm not sure. Uh, Clement A says, uh, or asks, uh, it feels like the hardest session would be session one because of the following sessions. The story starts to take on a life of its own and builds itself thanks to the players. What would you prepare for a session one after session zero and how? So for me, session in a sandbox game, which I've, I've definitely run a few in the past, um, Sometimes poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, session zero is always learning about the drives of your characters, finding out what their interests are, seeing what the player is interested in, and what the what they believe their character is interested in. Yes, and I use that always because they will change their freaking minds. No character survives contact with the plot, <laughs> just as much as the plot doesn't. Yes. So, <laughs> session one is always what can you throw at them that is interesting for each of them in such a way that it is a flavor. It is not a hook. It is just what is this within your interest list? Mm -hmm. Once it is now you can prepare. Um, A lot of times what I, what we've, we've talked about this multiple times that session ones should often be the soft shoe of the mechanics. It should be a milk run. It should be something simple that gets everybody involved in the game in a simple way. Put them in a simple fight, a simple uh, social situation, put them in a simple exploration encounter, whatever. Something to kind of showcase a sampler platter of the mechanics of the game. Take them from home, put them in the, you know, put them in the wilderness, take them to, you know, take them to where they're going, where the adventure occurs, bring them back through the wilderness, have them speak with somebody close the adventure yeah and those steps will you can sprinkle in parts of the world 
things that you find intriguing that may have been part of their interests. They learn a little bit of the lore. Mm -hmm. They learn a little bit of their compatriots, and they learn a little bit about themselves. Yep. That's it. And th that's for any game. Sandbox or not. Yeah. You do not run plot opening. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't do plot opening. Yeah. Let that first one just be pff, a straight-up adventure. Now, could it, if you're running a plot, could it have implications upon it? Sure, why not? Mm -hmm. Could it be a world-setting situation that then ends with a hard move by the world that occurs? Sure, why not? But the whole point of it is for you to learn them as much as they're learning the system. Yeah, I, I think uh, everything you just said was great. Mm -hmm. uh, the only thing I would add, though, is that um, a large, or say, la elaborate on uh, a large portion of what you're going to bring to session one is stuff you figured out in session zero. Yes. Okay. Uh, for me. Biggest hurdle I'm going to have in session one is figuring out what to do with the party, mm -hmm. what direction to offer them. Because if we're doing sandbox, right, mm -hmm. I don't want to railroad them even into a milk run. I don't want to be like, here's your plot. Because, again, we're not doing uh, to, to, uh, doing uh, sandbox then. Mm -hmm. What I want to do, though, is that during session zero, figure out what sorts of things do you want to do create you guys create the menu of activities that you want me to choose from that are going to be fun and engaging for you mm -hmm. okay what sort of a sandbox are we looking for are you looking for more exploration and intrigue like uh high stakes archaeology like an indiana jones style game mm -hmm. or are you looking for dungeon delving combat are you looking for wandering the countryside getting into political intrigue mm -hmm. I, I don't know yeah you, you guys tell me and then it becomes the milk run of that. Yeah, exactly. And then session one, I can take that information and use that to say, okay, there are job postings in this random town we have begun in. Here are some choices that all fit the things you told me during session zero. Yep. You can make your choice. That's agency. Yep. Yep. I think that's great. And the last question that squeezed in under the wire by JGenX. JGenX asks... One type of sandbox game is a West Marches campaign, also known as an open table campaign where one or more GMs and a rotating cast of players play in a shared world. In your opinion, what are the challenges in running these types of games? First and foremost, it has to be completely episodic. Mm -hmm. um, simply because you have a rotating cast of characters. If you can never depend on a certain character to be there, you can never build plot pertaining to that character. Mm -hmm. Or at least you can you can make consequence, you know, plot consequences that branch off from that character's choices, but you can never cater something directly. Like you can't have like an NPC showing up to talk to that character specifically because you don't know if that character is ever going to be at your table again. I argue that you can. Okay. But my point, I think your point still stands that you can't make them a requirement yes. of yes. the plot. But there is no difference that if someone comes to have a hard discussion about Ravana's actions, that the group won't be like, I'm sorry, she's not here right now. Um, <laughs> what's going on? Very Please well. Please leave your name, yeah. number, and a brief message, and she will turn you into a popsicle at her convenience. Right. Thank and then you. Goodbye. They come to find out, oh, good. Well, this is, you know. Well, then understand that she is wanted and a wanted poster goes up on the wall, you know, for a certain amount of money for the murder of so-and-so. Okay, well, now it went from a, 
we need to run, we need to, you know, figure, you know, Ravana needs to figure out what's going on here and find the truth to, we need to clear Ravana's name before she gets caught. I don't think that's necessary. Ravana the Ice Witch murdered them in cold blood. Oh, man. Man, she really just needs to chill out. You got any more? Nope. No, I'm done. All right. All right. All right. So, uh. We'll put a freeze on the topic. I, uh, I knew you were going to go there. Yeah, you're going to go there. <laughs> we have players who live. We have we have listeners Woo! who we have listeners who, who who literally live for these moments and these terrible puns. All right, I think we have officially belabored killed... the point. And it's cold and dead. You were almost completely accurate on your two-hour time. So. I told you. I... I told you. I'm going to... Yeah, that'll pay dividends right there. There we go. So our next topic is a system spotlight. System spotlight! All I right. tried to get in a game of Root. I really did for Gen... I, I wanted to go to Gen Con and play Root just so that I could have it before yeah, we did the system yeah. spotlight. And it, alas, it did not work. But I will be stopping by Root and uh, some of the tables and, and looking in on some of the stuff that they have. So Root Root looks absolutely adorable. Uh, it's by, by Magpie Games. We've talked about some of their games before. They were the ones that did Apelion, uh, the... Uh, the 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 dragon uh, yes. chronicles yes um and so uh, root is uh a 2022 game uh, won any won the any award for best game mm-hmm. um and it brings woodland creatures together to fight for money justice and freedom from the powers far greater than them yes so we're gonna be uh diving into just a adorable little game about furry animals in the in the in the, in the forest doing Doing cute, fuzzy, cute, wonderful, furry, almost like, like Mouse Guard grew up. <laughs> There's so many neat things about Root that I, I'm not going to get into until we get to it. So I, we look. I I am going to send some stuff out for uh, Gen Con. I look forward to uh, seeing your guys' comments in Discord, and uh, we will uh, we will talk those who are on uh, Patreon, and hopefully some of your uh, some of the listeners who will join me at Gen Con. Keith so. Saint calling us out in the live chat. He says, what? "Is it really a new system, Sarah?" No, it's powered by the apocalypse. It's not a new system, but they do fun and interesting and new things with it, and it is a new setting, and you will like it. Hold on. It's powered by the apocalypse. It is not a free world game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not not free league. It's not free league. We've stepped away from free league for a little while. At least it's not free league, guys. We are bouncing around. We are are deliberately trying to bounce around. But we are going back to Magpie, which is becoming free league, diet free league for us. No, there's going to be a lot of people at Magpie. I think they're going to, they're doing great this year. Yeah. All All right. right. Anyways, you can find us on, on X, I guess now at ST underscore conclave on Instagram at ST underscore conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night, except for right now on mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, join us up on our Discord. We'd love to hear some suggestions for you for future shows. Uh, talk to our other storytellers. Bounce some campaign ideas off on them. <laughs> uh, and uh, toss us some questions. We'd love to answer them here on the air for you. You can find that link on our on our Twitter, on our X, as well as storytellerconclave.com. I'd never feel comfortable with I know. that. Uh, we'd like to thank our Patreon members, especially our name members, Knox in the Box, Subject, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion Veteran, Hulupu. Excuse me. And Sean, we really appreciate all your support. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems or on Instagram at the same. Uh, our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find them at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music or on Instagram and YouTube now. Uh, and our outro music is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout out as always to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for loving Thank and you. supporting us. All of our friends who've sat with us at our tables over these years to give these great stories to share with you. And you, every single one of our listeners we love you guys so much love you guys good Good night. night